Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Clear Thinking, brought to you by Better Broadhead. Our town, their future. Please welcome your host, Aaron Menzel. Today, I am having a little informal conversation with Jen Wichita, who's the chairperson of the Better Broadhead Board. Welcome, Jen. Thank you, Erin. Welcome. So we just got back from CADCA Mid-Year, which was in Dallas, Texas, at the Gaylord Resorts. And we kind of just wanted to have like a little talk about everything we learned there. Um, it was a pretty fantastic convention, I think. What do you think? Um, it was great. Really, really intense, and we learned a lot. Um, so I think this is a great way to kind of wrap our heads around what we learned and be able to share what yeah. we learned, too. I think so, so we can, too. yeah, use all of the information we learned. Yeah, because I really felt, we talked about this yesterday, exhausted afterwards. Yes. Like, my brain was just fried completely, yes. <laughs> and I needed to, like recoup from that oh my oh, gosh man yes yes yeah some of the sessions were or were they all pretty much they were all about three hours long yes and then we had an ethics course that was six hours long right. so that was our entire day including all of our breaks so and yeah. most of the sessions were um lecture style yes which is packs a lot of information in but makes for a very long day <laughs> yeah. just sitting and getting information instead of being interactive with it. So this yeah. is kind of a nice way that we can be yes. interactive with yeah. that information, yeah. too. So I thought we could kind of go chronologically, I guess. Yeah. Um, Monday was the first day, and my first training was one on Kratom. What? Kratom. Okay. It's a drug. Um, so it is leaves from a tree, a kratom tree that's grown um, in Asia that has opioid properties to it. And the drier the leaves are, the more potent that substance is. Okay. And then also there's veins in the leaves. Mm -hmm. And the veins can be either, I'm trying to remember, look at my notes, I think... Red, white, and green. Nope, yellow and brown. No, brown is how dry it is. Yeah, green, yellow, and red. So, like, they say each one does a different thing. Like, the green strain is, like, really effective really quickly. Um, the yellow is more associated with pain relief. And it's not illegal everywhere. But in Wisconsin, it is illegal. Okay. So in some states, they're selling them in, like, health stores. Oh. And <laughs> people are overdosing. And okay. it can be a real problem. And then in some states where marijuana is legal recreationally, they're selling it in dispensaries. So, like, they put it in teas and... All sorts of different foods. Is, is it regulated? Because I'm assuming... No, it's not regulated by the FDA. And actually, they listed it as a drug of concern. I'm not really sure okay. like what that means uh -huh. necessarily. But that's what this um, session was saying. That um, they even had an import alert on it in 2012 and 2014. But um, So it's been around for a while. But it's clearly, it's while. not in Greene County yet. Because you just had that podcast yeah. about drug trends. Yep. And but I, something we... Right, should something be, we should be aware of in the okay. future. And I did talk to a couple of um, law enforcement people, and they said 
I really haven't seen it. Maybe one case. Okay. In Grand County. Um, but he said it wasn't confirmed. But he suspected it was Kratom. Okay. So, yeah, I don't think it's a big issue now, but drug chins usually tend to go from, like, the East Coast over. Right. So, and that's where they're seeing a lot of the issues and also the West Coast. So, uh-huh. we get the drug trends kind of late, it seems like. Well, and I feel with juuling, Kathy, the program director, had brought that up probably a year before we had really seen much usage at all, like maybe just a couple kids. And then a year later we saw a couple, and then the next school year it 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 was like an epidemic. Yeah, It was crazy. So it's I guess it's good for us to know about this because eventually we'll be Yeah, we'll be dealing with it. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if it'll be as much of a youth issue or an adult issue. I'm not really sure. So how is it illegal in Wisconsin if it doesn't have a lot of, uh, if there's not like a lot of knowledge about it? I think that they were being proactive and saying when they had that like import um, alert, Mm -hmm. I think that's when they classified it as being a illicit substance. Oh, okay. So I think they were just trying to get ahead of the game. Awesome. Yeah. Which way to go, Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 Um, so what were the, some of the things about, you said overdosing, and what were other concerns? Um, like with any opioid, it like slow down, slows down your breathing, and it has like the same effects as an opioid, but they didn't really add brain sedation, pleasure decrease, or pain is decreased. It um, increases euphoria. Um, but she didn't really go into, like, how did the person overdose? Mm-hmm. You know, was it, like, a poly drug issue? Like, they didn't go a lot into the, the deaths. More like, this is what Kratom is. Uh-huh. And they didn't even go into, like, this is how you frame a prevention okay. campaign around it. So, so it was just more information. just like, hey, we're seeing this in our area. This is mm-hmm. what it is. Be aware of it. That was basically the gist of it. So if it's like an opioid, does that mean that Narcan would revive somebody? Right, that's what I wondered. And someone in the audience asked. And uh-huh. she's like, I'm not sure. Okay. So and Narcan can't hurt a person. Okay. So I suppose if you they have the same symptoms of a opioid overdose and you gave them Narcan, like you're not going to hurt them. Okay. So and how does Narcan like work in a couple sentences? <laughs> <laughs> if I can remember exactly how it goes without sounding like an idiot, I think it's um like it blocks the receptors so that they no longer can take in that opioid, I think. Okay. I think, like, in my head, it's kind of like an EpiPen. Like, it gives you adrenaline, and all of a sudden you're awake. I don't know I if don't that's... I don't think that's how that's it works. Not, okay. From what I remember in the Narcan training. Clearly, I need to do some Narcan <laughs> training. All right. Right. I'm sure we'll offer it again yeah, sometime. Yeah, sure we will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were thinking about doing a podcast about the Narcan training. Like, oh. this is... Yeah, that would be great. do it. And then this is where you can get Narcan, because a lot of places... You can get it, like Walmart, and I think even Hometown has it. Really? Yeah. Yep. There you go. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first training? Um, My first training was um, best practices for involving youth in underage alcohol use prevention. 
Um, and it was presented by a, a statewide group called Texans Standing Tall. And so um, it was a statewide organization, and they worked with coalitions from all over their state. Um, the big takeaways that I got was active engagement is key. So how do you get the youth to have meaningful participation and sustain involvement? Which that's a hard part. I think like right. getting them excited initially is right. not really the issue. Like how do you keep them engaged? Right. Yeah. So I think that's going to be also key for our Y2Y group this year. Yeah. Have close to 80 to 100 kids involved, which is amazing. It is amazing. And they they explained this youth engagement ladder also um, kind of to gauge where organizations use their youth. So at the very bottom, the youth aren't really involved much. Um, and then at the top of the ladder, like rung seven or eight, is pretty much like the youth are in control of everything. And it's not saying that like top is necessarily the best. It's kind of a continuum. And for right. some projects, maybe you'll want them on rung number five. Um, but we kind of really see our youth to youth trying to get to more youth engagement and kind of leading everything. And Paul Huffman and I are just wanting to be the facilitator. So being right. the adults in there and kind of reining them in and keeping them on our focus yeah. points, but really letting them have control um, and building up their leadership skills, which is going to just help everything. For sure. So um, they also talked about um, protective factors and protective factors that help kids from using um, substances are things like engagement in the community, meaningful relationships with adults, engagement with peers, and then also recognizing positive norms. So the school knows that the more involved kids are with mm -hmm. different clubs and activities, um, the more they'll kind of feel at home right. at school and yeah. they'll feel like they have a place to belong. Um, and you and I were just talking about that with adults exactly. also in our community. Yeah. Yep. Like getting involved makes you more connected. Yeah. Um, positive norms, I think, is an, is an interesting thing also. Um, on our YRBS data, it might say like 30% use alcohol. 35% use alcohol in, uh, in the last 30, 30 days. days yeah, okay. 30 day use. So that's what the numbers say. And in that questionnaire, know that people are going to lie about their numbers a little bit. So right. it, they're, we can trust those that they're actually the numbers because that's taken care of mm -hmm. in the questioning. Um, so anyway, so like 35% of the students have used alcohol in the last 30 days. The kids' perception, though, is that everybody is using right, alcohol. Right. So if we can kind of turn that around and say, well, actually, the norm is that 65%, exactly. a clear majority, are not right. using alcohol, then that's like a really good way to frame things, and then that also becomes a protective factor. Yeah. Then there are some other things um, that, as a teacher, I kind of 
know because I work with the youth, but they were saying these things for maybe people who don't work with youth all the time. So strategies for active engagement, the number one thing was remember that our youth do care. So it's easy to categorize and generalize and be like, teens these days, they're so irresponsible. (laughs) They're They're so so lazy. (laughs) All they want to do is like drink and be on social media. Well, they do care. Right. They really, really care. Yeah. They're like a generation of advocates. Yeah. I just read that the other day that they, because they don't fear those in charge Mm -hmm. as much as previous generations, Mm -hmm. they're more likely to go out there and picket and advocate for people and be that voice like that is how great is that awesome to stand up for what you believe in and make change yeah that's amazing they also talked about like it's hard for adults but to share authority and responsibility yeah so we have to guide them for sure but also then trust in them like right build them up so they can do it and they also talked about be nice and encouraging so <laughs> oh be nice to our youth like right. they are really really amazing kiddos um yeah so let's support them yeah and grow them to be good leaders and it'll be awesome yeah it's a great session mm-hmm I think my um, next one wasn't really actually my one of my favorite ones. It was um, traffic safety data from Washington. I guess I was hoping because we're collecting place of last drink data, that it would help me guide. Who's like, collecting? Pro- um, so Broadhead Police Department and Better Broadhead are collaborating on collecting okay. Green County place of last drink data, which comes from an OWI arrest. Um, the officer asked them a set of questions. Um, it's a form that they have in their, like, OWI packet, like all these things they have to do. So um, it asked them, where was the last place you were drinking? What were you drinking? Who were you drinking with? Were you taking drugs? What kind of drugs mm. were you taking? That kind of thing. And then some, like, health questions and stuff like that. So not everybody answers that questionnaire because it's after their Miranda rights are read to them. So they don't have to oh. ask in, they don't have to answer any okay. questions if they don't want to. Okay. So they can outright refuse. So I was really hoping it could guide me in we have this data, how do we then frame like a youth alcohol campaign around that, you know? Um, but really she was more talking about how they collected the data, what the data was, and in Washington they have um recreational marijuana. So what they found out was people were getting intoxicated on alcohol and then taking marijuana to sober up. And then they would drive. Oh my gosh. And they have two things in their system. They have two things, two depressants in their system. So not a great idea. No. And so they pulled a bunch of people in Washington and they realized that like 95% of people in Washington felt it was wrong to drive while impaired in any way okay so they were like our people really truly believe this is a bad behavior so they kind of framed their campaign Mm. around that and they had the traffic safety commissioner and then one of the i think he was like a ceo or president of like hemp works or a company like that so So in the marijuana marijuana. industry Mm -hmm. and they talked about how both of them were 
anti-driving while impaired, mm-hmm. right? So the gentleman from the hemp company was like, this is one of my pet peeves. You should never drive after you've taken any kind of marijuana. Like you're putting people in danger. Mm-hmm. And so they use this, um, you know, two sides of the coin. You know, mm-hmm. people would think that a hemp industry president would be like, you know, marijuana is safe. Right, right, right. You're not impaired, all those things. No, he was like, you can't be driving. And so it was kind of funny and it was really well done and it's been a really successful campaign. Well, we don't, some of those factors we don't have here. So I I was, it was all right, but I got a little bogged down by the data. Right. Get a little overwhelmed. I think it's pretty powerful that those two big yes. leaders yeah. are coming together with the same message. Yeah, that was the best thing. Yeah. And then the their little joke at the end was, is there anything else that you two agree on? And they kind of look at each other. And the traffic commission guy was like, don't wear a Jerry Garcia tie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they both started laughing. And that was the end of the little oh, campaign. But yeah, funny. it was really, they used a little humor. And yeah. I like it that it wasn't law enforcement against mm-hmm. marijuana, big marijuana. Do they call that that? I don't, I don't know, know marijuana. Yeah, yeah. That it was like a partnership. It was. Yeah. So, what was your um, other one on Monday? I went to. It was called Escape the Vape. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it it sounded really good. Like, oh, this is something I can really use for our Y to Y group. And it wasn't um, <laughs> at all. So, but the next one that I, another one that I went to that was really, really, really good, and I have in my notes, is um, youth and social media. And so first I started off with some facts, just to kind of get our mind around where we are right now with the internet and social media um, currently, 50% of the world has access to the internet. Five billion people have a mobile phone in the world. There are 169.5 million Facebook accounts from oh all over God. the world. So, I mean, it's pretty prevalent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty. Pretty, pretty prevalent. <laughs> and then I went to talk about Generation Z. So... of our population is this Generation Z, and these are people who are born after 1995 and have never not had internet. So I remember, like, my first email that I sent was in college in, like, 1997, and I'd have to walk to the computer lab across Mm -hmm. campus, and I would send an email, and then... Maybe the next day I would right. be back in the the computer lab, usually not for a couple of days, and then maybe I would have a response depending on if that other person on their campus had, like, yeah. walked to the computer lab. Yeah. So times are so... They are so different, and they don't so have that... Different. Remember the dial-up, and you had to wait? Oh, my gosh. And wait, and it was like... Right. It's connecting and it's all like instantaneous. It is. Now. So it's a different world. It is. And I think it's good to remember that they've never been without it. So we have to kind of flip our thinking. Yes. It's not that they're lesser or they, you know, it's just the world they live in. So we need to like give them space for that. Yes. And acknowledge that. That goes a long way to, to just acknowledge that that is their reality. Right. It's not 
how we were, right. but that's okay. Um, 95% of 13 to 17-year-olds 17 have their own smartphone. Um, and 92% of boys 13 to 17 have access to a gaming console. Um, so that was just another way for us to wrap our heads right. around what they're doing, what they're, what they have. Um, they said the top social media sites and they kind of always switch in order, but the, the, always in the top 10 for 13 to 24 year olds are Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, WhatsApp, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So I thought that was interesting because I didn't think of Pinterest as a social media, but it's it's classified as one, really? and I am just don't use it in that. I don't fashion. either. I use it to like look up recipes yes. and like crafty things. Ooh, I could do that and not right. connect with other people. No, I don't ever connect with other people. Right, right. That and is then interesting. Also, YouTube as social media. Like, I just think about it as watching videos, but now that they said that, you know, it's brought to my attention. I can see how that is. Yeah, I can see that, too. Um, the way that my kids use it right. is a lot different than how I use it. Totally. Like, I'm like, how do I put this thing together? Yes. I'll look it up on YouTube. Yes. Not, you know... I'm going to watch funny right. videos and be like, this is my favorite right. YouTuber. Like, hey, there's this uh, video from 1985. I'm going to show my kids because yeah. it's hilarious. Right. Not yeah. connecting with people. No. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting that those are all of the, the social media. So also being aware that we can't just like demonize social right. media. Right. Like, okay, it's out there. And, and also adults and Youth use it in a different way. Um, adults on like our typical social media that adults use, like old people, like Facebook, Facebook. Yeah. right? So we, as adults, generally use it at, for communication, like mm -hmm. commenting on somebody's post, right? Um, or putting something out there, you know, that we want to share. Whereas youth are more likely to kind of be passive about it and sit back and scroll and watch. So they're kind of like voyeurs right. about it. Yeah. Um, so even the way that, that adults and youth interact with it affects how they feel about it. Right. So some of the, the neurological impact from overuse of social media from our youth is that um, increased use has been... Um, linked to an increased difficulty with memory, um, which makes sense. It like does. you're trying to multitask, but that doesn't right. work. So everything is in like short snippets. Um, also, I had never heard of this before. Phantom vibration syndrome, mm -hmm. which you were like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's like believing that your phone is vibrating but it's not so like right. checking it yeah um also a body sensation of it vibrating mm -hmm. so like in your pocket yeah so like you feel it vibrating on your leg and you're like oh that's not it's not even there yeah yeah it's weird phantom vibration syndrome um and so they were like yeah so social media really does 
have an effect on our central nervous system. It does. Or, you know, being connected all the time or needing to be connected. And they also talked about how social media triggers the dopamine reward center. Every time you get a like or more followers, it gives you just like a little reward like in your dopamine and then you want more and more and more Mm -hmm. of it so it's not like even a conscious thing it's just something that is happening in your brain that is like leading you to get that reward more often so they talked about when you talk about yourself or post about yourself um you get more of a dopamine release release, than if you're talking about others which makes sense um you get more with the more likes that you get or the more follows also posting for approval yeah so that's why a lot of people do it even if they're not conscious of it because they're getting that that kind of dopamine thing so they were talking about then that social media is very similar to drugs and alcohol in that Mm -hmm. sense that it's not addictive like nicotine is addictive but it's addictive because it retrains your dopamine reward center right and so you're always looking for more and more and more of that and then leads to like depression anxiety when you don't get it yes yes that they talked about if teens or youth are on social media five or more hours a day, there's a 50% increase of depressive symptoms for females, which is like feeling sad or anxious, right. getting less sleep. They stop doing things they enjoy. Right. Yeah. And then a 35% uh, increase for males. So unhappiness and loneliness. And they had us look and and see, like kind of check ourselves to be like, you know, average people are on social media more than two hours a day. And all of the adults in the audience were like, no, that's so much. But if you really analyze your day, like, and Mm -hmm. you get sucked into Facebook or any of those other things, like Pinterest is considered that. YouTube, all of that. And if you look at your phone settings, you can see how long you're spending on each. And it's pretty alarming when you look at it. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, man. Yeah. I've been on my phone way too much today. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's also a good check for us as I think so too. As teachers, as parents, mm-hmm. as adults, as people who, who care about our youth, to not just always be blaming them and like. Right. But take a look at our own because yeah. it adds up faster than we it think. It does. Yeah, definitely. And I, I put a, a limit on my phone because I told my kids to limit the time. Mm-hmm. So then I looked at how much and I was on the, my phone more than my 14 year old. Wow. I'm like, all right, I'm going to shut my stuff down. Yeah. Because apparently I have more of a problem than she does. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it is good to check ourselves a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also talked about FOMO, oh, yeah, fear, fear of missing, missing out, out yeah. which I just always like, oh, pshaw. That's yeah. not like <laughs> a thing. Whatever. Yeah. But that is like a legit thing. Um, so... That's kind of in in the terms of youth and social media. It's when you see people post about events um, that you weren't 
invited to um, or just like feeling left out. Um, so it leads kids, it can lead to kids um, feeling like they're replaceable. Oh, yeah. Um, like, oh, if I'm not always available, am I going to be forgotten? Right. Um, it leads them to feel like they need to post more often or the need to look perfect. And also they they said that this f- fear of missing out is really kind of um, parallels to layered trauma. So every time that they think that they missed out on something, it kind of adds a layer to it. And that we shouldn't just dismiss them. We should really ask, like, oh, you know, kind of unpack that and ask why. Because every time that we just say, oh, forget about it. It doesn't matter. You're fine. Yeah, Yeah. then it, like, buries it. And it it just adds layers and layers and layers. And it becomes an actual trauma. Right. So. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I never even thought about that. I thought, oh, you're just being, like, dramatic. Yes. You know? Yes. Because we missed out on things as a kid, but right. it's different because we didn't see it right. while it was happening. We found about out about it later. And right. yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I felt like sad and mm-hmm. oh, I was left out, but we didn't have to look at it. So right. it's completely different. Right. So yeah, I think we have to be more mindful about being right. kind to them when they're going through that. Yeah. Yeah. And asking them questions yeah. and like, well, how do you feel about that? And then, you know, processing right with them too which takes a long time and it I know from my experience it's just easier to be like stop being so dramatic (laughs) but okay so I should take the time to ask the questions and dig a little deeper so they feel like they can deal with it so it's not layer upon layer right just get rid of that that layer that trauma yeah that's scary in a way it's ridiculous yeah Mine was kind of similar, but not necessarily so much about, like, the psychological components of social media, but how to use social media to reach out to youth and how it has to be different than our generation. (laughs) Like, they said, they started out like, you know, the baby boomers like that face-to-face or, like, printed um, communication our generation likes more of like infographics and Facebook, yes. and lo- we love infographics, yes, right? Totally. Or we really like to be emailed something. Mm-hmm. Whereas like millennials would rather get a text or be something on social mm-hmm. media. Whereas Gen Z, they want little snippets of visual information that's just facts, not like wisdom from the older <laughs> generations because they don't care. Um. They want peer communication, and they. They want to do the research themselves a lot of times because they're so interested in learning new things that they want to be able to do the research, which I thought was really interesting. And I've seen it in my oldest. Like, she loves to research something and, like, dig into it really deep. So how cool is – I thought that was really That's amazing. Yeah. And one of the coalitions – I can't remember what their names were, what coalition they were from, but they had one of their older youth to youth members who like went on to college. She did these little um, videos that were always eight seconds long, mm-hmm. but you have to try to get that information you want out to them in like eight seconds. Okay. Which I think is going to be 
So if we like just hard to remember that. Pause for eight seconds. Let's like figure out how long that is. Like okay. give us eight seconds of silence. Ready? Mm-hmm. That was eight seconds. Okay. That's not a long time. Yeah, to get and it has a to message. be visual. Yeah. Right? It can't be like spewing out facts and information. You know, like yeah. that that's that's a different way of thinking about it, definitely. So good news for us right. on um, like why do I? We have two social media directors so they can job share. Yes. That's gonna be awesome because it if will. I was supposed to be in charge of social media. I would like, not do well when it no. comes to communicating with kids. I think that's why it has to be peer led because yes. they understand their peers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. I try to understand oh, yeah. them. But not like some old lady. I know. Like <laughs> being preached to by an old lady. Yes. They don't want that. No. They don't want that. So it was a really good, mine was really good, but a lot of um, kind of the same information that was in yours, you know, remembering that they're a different generation and they are valued and they Mm -hmm. you know they are great advocates and stuff like that so and then I think the next day didn't we have ethics or am I skipping ahead too far I think you're skipping am I skipping maybe Maybe. I have um marijuana oh yeah that day I did like how to create surveys um but they talked a lot about how to create a good survey that you're going to actually get the data that you need um, and the data needs to be accurate, complete, timely, consistent, and unique. So you can't have any duplicates. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, you're not going to get a huge amount of response, no matter what kind of survey you put out there. Like people mm-hmm. don't always want to take surveys, right? You know, but you have to remember, like, a certain percentage is a good amount, like ten percent or something okay. like that of your population. So, but you have to keep in mind, like. What is the purpose of this survey? What do you want to get out of it? Always keeping that in mind. Um, And what are you measuring? And then how are you going to use it afterwards? And what is your target population? So, again, going back to, like, if it's youth, are you going to want them to fill out a paper survey? Or some coalitions use, like, an iPad, and they just have them fill out the survey on Mm -hmm. the iPad, and they pass it around. I thought that was a good way to do it. Whereas, like, an older generation's not going to mind right. doing a paper survey after right. a training or something like that. Um, the gentleman there said that, you know, coalitions need to be better about gathering data mm-hmm. and surveys so you can really show your effectiveness and your outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... You're more likely to get a grant if you have great surveys and you have great data. And that's um, important for us because we're in year three yeah. of our five-year drug-free community grant. Yep. And we can apply for it one more time. Mm-hmm. And then... And then we have to have some sort of sustainability right. with other grants. So, But yeah, but next time we do a Broadhead community survey, I think we'll have to implement some of those... Um, ways of thinking mm-hmm. and procedures. So, okay, yeah. Well, thanks for that conversation. I think we, I think we covered most of the stuff that we went through. Yes. Like, yay! Thanks, Erin. 
You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to another episode of Clear Thinking, brought to you by Better Broadhead. For information of upcoming events and meetings, please visit our website at betterbroadhead.org and be sure to subscribe to our email list.